0: Well, hello, Seattle. Hello,
1: Puget Sound. And welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy. And, uh, well, soon to be a master sommelier. I hope I've got that master sommelier theory exam coming up uh, this month in July. And I'm excited about the opportunity to uh, test my knowledge, uh, see if, how much I can regurgitate. Um, and then, you know, remember uh, that this is about taking care of the guests. The sommelier role is really taking care of guests and its hospitality. But, of course, to be a master sommelier, you are, are much more uh, an educator, a mentor, and, of course, someone who needs to know, be an authority about the world of wine. And uh, I've been studying. I just finished the uh, Italian Wine Scholar which uh, my friend uh, Tanya Morningstar Darling is uh, one of our uh, instructors. And um, a great, great class. It was about 12, 14 weeks we would meet. We would talk about our reading material, do some slideshows, and then taste some wine, which is really the best part, because you get to to learn some different blends, different regions, um, different styles of winemaking. And the class was really um, focused, and so anybody who was in the class is a student of Italy and. They must have a a, a passion for wine because the tuition is actually rather high. And um, I had a chance to meet some really fun people. And one of the people I met was Megan Baroni, And she is a Northwest uh, wine aficionado. She uh, has represented some brands. And um, she's here today to share some of her stories and get to know her. So, Megan, welcome to Happy Hour.
2: Thank you for having me, Chris.
1: My pleasure. Um, Did you enjoy the Italian Wine Scholar Programme?
2: Um, absolutely. Uh, this is my second round of Wine Scholar Guild courses that I've taken and started with French Wine Scholar and that changed my life in a really amazing way. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. It's really, uh, really transformed me. And so when I had the opportunity to do Italian Wine Scholar with Tanya, I jumped at it and ended up kind of assisting in the class in a way. And
1: Yeah, you were foreign. Yeah, you were porn. getting there early, it seemed, and oh, yeah. leaving late. Oh, yeah. Popping
2: bottles, doing dishes. Yeah, I yeah.
1: appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so when did you realize that wine was something that you were into? What, what was your epiphany? or?
2: Well, I mean, there are a lot of key moments in my life, I would say. I mean, from my uncle had a vineyard in his backyard in California, oh. and we would make wine, stomping grapes in barrels, you know, like or like, you know, those wide bus tubs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean,
2: I have a photo of me and my cousin stomping and like, little coveralls and my cousins in headgear, you know.
1: And <laughs> <Not> Lederhosen. <laughs>
2: it kind of looked like Lederhosen, I know, mean, I'm like, yeah. But um and then I went to college and actually studied music, but started throwing dinner parties and fell in love with food and wine and how they inter- interplay.
1: So are you a uh, you a musician then?
2: Yeah, actually. I play the saxophone and I sing.
1: Really? Is that the alto sax um, or the baritone? baritone Baritone's sax. my
2: main axe, but wow. um, I also dabble in Electric Sacks, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a little side project. But um, yeah, wine uh, became this passion. I started working for Trader Joe's. I did that for 15 years. Really? Yeah, I, that's uh, part of my wine journey. Um, wow. Ran the wine program up at the Queen Anne Hill store for a long time and decided to go to school, hence the French Wine Scholar Program. Right. And Reggie, uh, Reggie Danyo yeah. was my instructor in that course. And she kind of... Was like you know, why aren't you doing this more? Why aren't you actually going for this? You uh-huh. could be working in the industry in a real way. Like why are you not? And so I started looking for jobs and <laughs> and ended up with um, the company that I have worked for for a while through the Wine Scholar and the wines themselves.
1: Well, what wine? What wine was it that you said this is cool? This is wow! This is crazy! This is wild! Or oh my goodness! I've I've seen the light
2: yeah well um it's really funny uh well there are a few uh epiphany minds a seven from nicholas joely really? i mean come on come on that's gonna
1: be dirty and just off and weird oxidative and, and, yeah, and weird funky. and
2: yeah i like that stuff that right. appealed to me like it um it just triggered something in my brain i'd never had experienced before and it just expanded me and made me think and moved me and i, I always remember, think
1: that that trigger is a fight or flight
2: well, I definitely, I was like, no, it wasn't fight or flight. It was like make out, you know? Wow.
1: Sauvage. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, yeah I,
2: absolutely. So, and the thought of biodynamics appealed to me, like that thought of vineyards being more than just a place that grows grapes. Like it's a systemic, beautiful thing that people participate in and it's part of this pattern of nature. And so I thought about that. And then I had another wine in that course from Domaine Pinier in the Jura. Oh.
1: Vanjon. And not Jean Valjean, this is Vanjon.
2: <laughs> you know, uh well, maybe people don't know about Vanjon, but it's a wine made in the Jura Mountains and it is pretty much an ancestral wine. So they take this grape Sauvignon that's really, really high acid and kind of astringent, um related to Gewurztraminer, white as a side grape, note. Yeah. yeah, white grape. And they, they press it and then they age it in these barrels, but they don't top it off. They let headspace grow.
1: Meaning there's air in the air barrel. Air in the
2: barrel. They, they call it houillé, uh, en français. Uh-huh. Um, and this yeast veil grows, similar to flor and sherry.
1: Right. Floor is the term for the layer of yeast that sort of sits on top of the the, the, yeah. the wine.
2: Yeah, it's yeast, and it contributes this beautiful, salty, nutty right. aroma, butterscotchy yeah. And I remember tasting that wine and thinking it was like a salted caramel with a squeeze of lemon and like just the most complex flavor explosion. And I drew hearts around my notes. that Oh, night. wow. Oh, yeah. Like heart eyes. Like I was in. <laughs> I was just like, You're who smitten. does this? I remember flipping the bottle around and being like, oh, oh, this is a cool wine importer in, in Portland, Oregon. And thinking like, wow, they're really great people. End of the story. I ended up working for them. So. It's been a beautiful and thing. And what,
1: what company is that?
2: Petit Monde Wine Merchant.
1: Petit Monde.
2: Yeah, Petit Monde.
1: And they have a website?
2: Uh, yeah, it's uh, www.petitmondewine.com.
1: Is that petite with an E at the end?
2: It's P-E-T-I-T-M-O-N-D-E. Uh-huh. All right.
1: little world, huh? Small this world. Small world, right.
2: Yeah. Very really good. Cool.
1: So you brought some selections today of some wines that uh, you dig, and I, I thought it would be fun. I know we tasted a bunch of Italian wines, although you did. I was actually gallivanting around the world and <laughs> missed some of those wines. Yeah, we missed you. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, but we did just finish the exam, and we look forward to our results. Uh, how? What would you think of that test?
2: Um, well, I think that I should have studied harder for Unit 2. I'm going to be real. Um, but unit one, I actually felt like I really knew the course. That's good. But then again, that's the meaty materials. That's all Piedmont and all the, the juicy stuff I really love. But, you know, um, I thought there was a lot more on the stuff I didn't study. I'll be honest. Oh,
1: interesting. I studied. I
2: studied a lot of Tuscany and Cis- well, there was a lot of Sicily Oof. questions on there.
1: There were, yeah. Um, but you know, that's what makes it great because there, there's really a thousand questions that they can ask, but they only posed. A hundred of them, and we, of course we have multiple choice. So we we, we get, it's a matter of how you take that test and, and how you approach the. It's uh what was that Um final answer?
2: Oh well, yeah. Like <laughs> you have to do these process of elimination. It's a it is a not an easy coursework. I no, have it's to not. Say. No, it, there were some questions that like
1: were really thought provoking and like, oh my goodness, what are they asking here? And and um, but it's a it's a big country, of course. Uh, oh. A lot of material, a lot of different uh, denominations, origin and uh, contrôlados, garantitas, and things. Um, but here we are. You brought some wines, which I believe are not Italian.
2: No, actually, uh, France.
1: Aha, uh-huh, French.
2: Um, actually, uh, champagne. Perfect. And some uh, Somer, mm. Chenin Blanc. From You're speaking
1: Sommer. my language. Well, let's go ahead and pour something here. Oh, right. uh, I've got a glass. Uh, When we think about Champagne, of course, uh, we're talking about a region in France, which is just north of Paris, northeast, and uh, that was a very good sound effect. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) uh, And, of course, uh, there's actually six grapes that can be grown there. Of course, the primary ones are Pinot Noir, Meunier, and Chardonnay, but there's also Petit Messier, Petit Darban, and I think, uh, is it Pinot Gris or something like that? You know what the sixth one is?
2: I believe it is in the Pinot family. Yeah, it is. I believe is. it is the gray.
1: Excellent. Um, and, of course, uh, there are some conditions for champagne. You have to have a, a minimum uh, amount of uh, lease contact, I believe is 12 months, and then 15 months in bottle, or three months in bottle. And, of course, uh, Vinton Champagne is 36 months.
2: Mandatory 36. Yeah,
1: mandatory. And, of course, when you think about the Tete Cuvées, the very fancy ones, the Cristals, the Dom Perignons, the... Grand Seclass those are typically uh on lees or entourage uh for five to, to ten years.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I've I was actually drinking a champagne from one of the producers I bought oh tasting, I should say. The <laughs> champagne. I wasn't swallowing, I'm working. Um from <laughs> there where there was eight years on the lees, and it's yeah.
1: So much like that wine that you that uh took you by the the heart strings, uh the van de paie or the uh, yellow um, wine. Van Jean. Van Jean, um that is about yeast. And yeast gives you this complexity. It's a nuttiness, it is an oxid it's or is it oxidative? That's a funny thing.
2: Well, and it's is it oxidative? Because it's mostly like that acetylaldehyde that's forming, which is really not an oxidative note, right? Aren't we if we're going to get nerdy yes, on this. Yes, but we
1: think about headspace. So, therefore, since <laughs> there there's is room, a little, but the there's yeast there's,
2: protects from it a
1: little bit. Right. But, so yeah, It's so, this
2: weird chemical process. It is
1: a delicious one at that, and I think that's why I believe uh, the wines of Jerez are some of the most extraordinary, complex, deliciously simple wines that go great with food because it's all about acidity. When we think about champagne, of course, Absolutely. we're talking about a cool climate that's on um, Getting a little warmer these Yeah, days. It's true.
2: Global warming.
1: Let's talk about this particular expression. Who's the producer of the uh, Maison?
2: The Maison is Champagne L'Armandier Bernier. It is actually, um, it was established in 1971, but the L'Armandier family goes back to the French Revolution with Champagne in the Côte de Blanc. They mm-hmm. are in ber- whoop, hi, that was, I'm a hand talker. <laughs> you guys can't see this, but um, their their family goes back a long ways, but they are, since the 70s, Current winemaker, Pierre, and his wife, Sophie, took over the domain in 1988. They have a very small holding in in the Côte de Blanc. They almost exclusively work with Chardonnay in the Côte de Blanc, which is known for Chardonnay. Now. Sure,
1: right. That's uh, Le menil sur oui. uh, of course. Ver- is Ver- Vertu's in there? Yeah,
2: actually, that's where they're based, in Vertu. Um, Do you know anything about Pierre? Do I know him? I yeah. mean, like, I don't know him personally. I sadly haven't met him yet. Ah, uh, but uh,
1: I'm curious.
2: He's a. I've heard from actually quite a few of my clients and go, have gone and visited him, and they're wonderful, humble people, really easy to talk to. Just, I mean, he's a farmer first and foremost. This is Grower Champagne. Right. So they farm the vineyards themselves, work the soils. They farm biodynamically. Um, they're certified. Everything is hand riddled and disgorged. All fermented with indigenous yeast, natural malolactic um from Every single one of their wines,
1: and when you think about a uh, grower producer, there's some terms: recolte manipulant. So you look yeah. in the label, R M, or negociant manipulant, or recolte coopérateur, or uh, so. These are little things. When you look at a, a wine label, you'll see some letters and some numbers, and that's just all about being officially recognized by the uh, Appellation Origin Contrôlée, which is of course Champagne, uh, and of course Côte Blanc is uh, um, the White Hills. Yeah, right.
2: Lots of chalk. I mean, ah. known for chalky soil where it actually is up at the surface hardly any topsoil there.
1: Mhm. Let's take a taste of this. Yeah. First of all the smell uh I get some of the uh the brioche, um some of the the almond or hazelnut mm. uh white flowers. Mm it smells like a little lemon meringue.
2: So this uh cuvee, this longitude is actually 40% reserve wine mm. that they established in 2004.
1: Okay. Um it's got a fleshy palate, uh, and the acidity is a great backbone. Mm. This has um, it has a little sweetness to it, which I think some of that's brought on by the reserve wines, which tend to give you a little more depth and complexity and it sort of accent some of that uh, acidity with um, this flavor of, I won't call it toffee or caramel, but there's a, a roasted or baked note to the fruit.
2: I would absolutely agree. You know, um, this is incredibly low dosage. Really? Three grams per liter. No way. Believe it or not.
1: Wow. Uh, I love it because it, and that's the thing is is our, we're conditioned to taste, eat ripe fruit, right? Mm-hmm. Not rotten fruit, not yeah. under ripe fruit. And so when we, we taste, get all the phenols or the, uh, the, the, from the fruit notes, we, our brain goes, it's sweet because we're conditioned. Absolutely. And so to me, I'm thinking, well, okay, it's got great acidity. So there must be some sugar in here. Uh, Incredibly, three grams per liter is tiny. That's tiny. That's just on the the zero. That's it's, really it's, zero to three I mean, is zero.
2: Yeah, that he won't go over three grams per liter. Pierre, uh, he truly believes uh, in the primary fermentation, later harvest on the grapes, really giving this as a wine.
1: Yes. Uh, it tastes delicious. Um, this would be, you know, I mean, a thing in the $55 range. Uh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, actually.
1: Excellent. Hey, everybody. Um, I've got my friend, my classmate, Megan Baroni, here, who's a wine professional, and uh, we've got some great wines to taste. So stick around. will be right back on Happy Hour Radio.
0: He's loud. He's proud. Holding nothing back. Michael Savage, The Savage Nation. Weeknights, 9 to midnight. Talk Radio 570, KVI. Now more KVI Want to Know Weekends. Back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back. Time for round two. And lucky me, I got two
1: glasses of wine before me. Hope you got something tasty in your glass. Uh, and one of my uh, classmates, um, it's always good to meet people here in the industry, and I got Megan Baroni, who is a wine professional. She brought some cool champagne. Of course, uh, I dig most of it. Uh, and this one was really delicious. Champagne Le Monde it's Brunier. It's uh, the Longitude. Uh, it's a blend of, uh, is it, it's not Blanc de Blanc, is it's it? It's all Chardonnay. It's all Chardonnay. It is Blanc de Blanc. 100%, but
2: from four different vineyard sites that form a Longitude, Line. Oh,
1: okay. Hence
2: the name, but also speaking to how it is on your palate. Mm. Nice and long.
1: It is nice and long, and uh, great body, great depth, uh, and great acidity. Um, surprisingly ripe. which uh, was uh, a little confusing for me as far as residual sugar and uh, dosage. But uh, regardless, uh, a fantastic wine. I'm really impressed. I've never had it before, so this is a a real treat. You also brought another bottle of champagne. Yeah,
2: another grower champagne from the Cote de Blanc. Strangely enough, um, maybe I have a thing for Chardonnay-based champagne. I may have a code de Blanc map on my office wall,
1: <laughs> excellent,
2: <laughs> yeah, so um, this is another small producer from Vertu uh his name is Pascal Doquet, and he is a little different stylistically. He's an organic farmer driving a little spider or a little like feather light tractor in the vineyards, and he actually fancies himself a musician first and foremost, so all of his uh, cuvées are based on musical terminology, mm. so arpege means. Uh, an arpeggiated chord, three different notes, do do of a chord. Interesting. So um, it's actually three different vineyard sites that um, he's using. One of which is Montame, which is actually uh, with Silex soils, flinty soils. Okay. So, so I, which I is a little different, you,
1: right? Isn't flint really, really hard, compressed chalk? Is it's that
2: actually. I mean, it's a different. It's black and uh, really flaky. Oh, it it's is a black. different, yeah. it's actually flint, flint, like the stone. Flint, like it's matchstick. It'll give that matchsticky quality ah, to a wine, like Puyi Fumé right. is known for the Silex.
1: Yes, and it's, because when we think about, I mean, I've always thought Selex was white, right? Just in my mind, because we're talking about, we talk about white stones and flint. Yeah,
2: but no, it's, a, it's actually different. It's slightly different types. So, All yeah. right,
1: this is good. Um, I always get this great perspective and learning. So <laughs> I see the term Premier Crew on the uh, yeah. the neck label here.
2: So this is a source from Premier Cru vineyard sites in those villages, in Vertu, um, Montemay, and Villeneuve.
1: Sure, and uh, Vertu is a very famous uh, Premier Cru village. And, of course, when we think about Grand Cru, which we talk about, whether it's in Burgundy, um, even in Bordeaux, the terms don't necessarily mean the same thing. But Grand Cru in Champagne is about the designation of a village, meaning that these grapes of all this this little neighborhood of a village, which are all 100%. Uh, are considered the best of yeah. the best. It
2: had to do with pricing back yeah. in during the. I mean, essentially, what was it? The French Revolution. <laughs> Forgive my memory, but uh, yeah, there was yeah. a big or like the Champagne riots. I actually think it was the Champagne riots, which is always a great name for a band. I've always Champagne thought Riot. Champagne riots. <laughs> Come um, see you're us. Right, the Echelle, the crew, <laughs> and
1: that's now since been um, disregarded because people can pay whatever they want to pay for grapes. But I, I as the traditions do, make can. Uh, go on for a long time in certain uh, cultures, the tradition of having Premier crew and Grand crew and grapes. And, and so long contracts. And there are what? I want to say there's like 1,700 growers or 7,000 growers in in uh, Champagne. Yeah,
2: but a lot of them are selling their wines to cooperatives. Yeah. And for the Grand Maisons, Grand Marc. Sure. So, um, but there are now a growing number of these small grower producers, uh, recoltant, Manipulant. If you will, that are doing really beautiful, expressive wines, doing everything themselves, making artisanal, handmade products, and they're often less expensive than a bottle of Cristal or Vouvray, which is
1: oh, <laughs> <Well>, Cristal. Okay, <laughs> yes, most things are most less things expensive are than less expensive. expensive but Cristal.
2: honestly, like I mean, I, I've had the treasure and the joy of having something like that before. I've gotten to taste Cristal once.
1: Did you go to the, you didn't go to that tasting last week where we had that 3 liter of 2007 Cristal? I did
2: not go to yeah. that one, but I have, you know, I've, of course. I've been to events and yes, I've tasted it and it's it's lovely.
1: Now this wine particularly, this seems like it's gone through some malloc fermentation. This is a richer, rounder, oh, well, fatter style.
2: I like to say that this wine is leasy for cheesy. Um <laughs> that's a patented wine term. Mm. Um, so lots of time on the lees. This is primarily mm. from the 2011 harvest. Which was not in, declared
1: a vintage, I don't think.
2: Well, there actually, the previous producer we just tasted did a. Um, a millazine. They did from 2011,
1: and I love it. Yeah. Okay.
2: But, you know, sorry I didn't bring it.
1: <laughs> sorry, we'll get you on again. <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll just come to come to a party with me. And All just, right,
1: yeah. that sounds fun. <laughs> so uh, this producer has uh, some reserve wines.
2: Yeah, um, reserve wine going back uh, usually two or three years. So it's primary. It's from the harvest. So right. And, yeah, so disgorged in 2017. So that's had a lot of time on the lease.
1: Yeah, this is great. And I think that's what, uh, you know, grower-producers can do. Um, Obviously, it takes money and it takes chalk caves and it takes um, resources to sit on product because we want to go to market and get the cash flow. Uh, But really, the the value in, in champagne is about someone who took the time. So when people ask me, why is champagne so expensive?, Let's well, tell you, this was in their cellar for six years, and so they just, just add a penny a day, and then you're talking about $30 right there.
2: Oh, and I mean, these are agricultural products, and vintages matter. I mean, bad weather, a frost during bud break can kill vintage.
1: Yeah. Kill it. And yet the prices don't necessarily fluctuate that much when it comes to champagne, because um, I think some of the... Well, we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> delicious wine. Uh, and uh, there is a, a website, Petitmon, Petitmon.com. they can find these.
2: Petitmonwine.com. com. Okay. I will admit there is a little um it's we're just um importing and distributing this company. Sure, we you have but, a link. Um there I would say um go to your local wine retailers here in the northwest. Um lots of Sure. Like, McCarthy and Shearing McCarthy and Shearing, Jay, Pike, and Ravenna, Western, Jay, Pike and Jay, Western, James, yeah. I personally I Michael's here. Um uh, De La Rennie, Esquin, uh, actually requested at Esquin.
3: Ah, there you
2: go. <laughs> but um, yeah, easy to find all around uh, awesome wine retailers in the Pacific Northwest, all our favorite local friends. So. Sure.
1: This is a very um, unique wine. I'm I really digging this because it, it's different from the other one. And, and the first one is, is more in the champagne style that I, I recognize and am familiar with. But this is this is just texturally different. Yeah,
2: it? I mean, it's uh, for me, that Long knees Aging... And he's really again coaxing ripeness out of the fruit on the primary harv- harvest, mm. and it really does bring this um, a kind of like nutty, toasted hazelnut quality yeah. to the wine. And it's, it's and that and it under does undergo natural malolactic as well. So again, more richness.
1: Right, and I think when you're inoculating for malolactic, sometimes you'll get more diacetyl because those uh, people want. I mean, if you're inoculating for ML, sometimes you'll get that with uh, the Chardonnays and things. You have another yeah. wine here. It's another white wine, and this comes from the Loire Valley, which is uh, a very long valley, 600 miles long from the uh, region of the Nantes, uh, from the Atlantic Ocean, all the way inland to the central vineyards.
2: Yeah, essentially up into um, the central massif. And um, the grapes vary from up in the Alps. It's almost Beaujolais-like in their Gamay use. And then, you know, at the mouth, all those beautiful white grapes, like Melon de Bourgogne. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But, um, Chenin Blanc, Chenin Blanc, which and, is actually uh, what we're going Blanc. to be tasting right now. Yeah, Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm.
1: So you but, poured some for me now, and I think Chenin Blanc is somewhat of a chameleon in that it can express itself in different ways. Absolutely. You mentioned the wine that one of the wines that you really dug uh, as part of your epiphany journey here was uh, Seven Year. Yeah, and the that's Sauvignon Chenin Blanc, one hundred
2: percent Chenin Blanc from mm-hmm. northern edge of the Loire and that beautiful little AOC. And this is going to be a little farther south and a little just slightly. West, if I'm thinking about the map correctly, but I'm probably not. But Sommer.
1: Sommer Champagne, right? They've, they've known well, some great uh, Cabernet Franc there as well. Absolutely. And um, the white wines, we don't typically see as much. And this is a great expression because this seems to be a little leaner than some of the Vouvray. This has oh, a little more absolutely. mineral tension.
2: Well, and, um, you know, Vouvray is is different soils, whereas Sommer is twofold. Which is that uh, beautiful chalky soil. It's actually very similar to the soil in Champagne. hmm That's right. Pardon? So, it's
1: uh, a marine... Yeah, you know, marine, marine
2: uh, limestone deposits. And um, I feel like, uh, well, in particular this wine, but um, the wines of Somer are very, very, very... Um, Expressive of minerality. Yes. Makes them awesome with seafood.
1: Seems like this is stainless steel. I mean it's very clean.
2: Yes. It's actually fifty percent stainless steel and fifty percent neutral oak barrel to kind of soften some of the, the acidity. Because this uh, is the coldest parcel in the the clo of these uh Breze vineyards, the Chateau de Braze mm. in summer.
1: Not Brazier. No no.
2: <laughs> no, Brezet, uh, Breze, which is actually I think Claude Girard is in Breze as well. Some of the most uh, prestigious terroir in Sommer is Breze. And so yeah, he's vinifying individual parcel and so it's almost elevating to Burgundy level where he's attempting. There
1: elevate. is a Chablis-esque note to it with the acidity. The acidity is yeah. very fine. And, of course, with some of the stainless steel, that tension. In it. But also, in Chablis, you get that roundness, the oxidative. Mm-hmm. I don't call it oxidative. We'll call it the sandpaper effect. Um, a delicious wine. Sauvignon Blanc. Sorry. Um, uh, Chenin Blanc is something that I wish more people would taste. It's not. Absolutely. Sometimes it has some residual sugar, but a lot of times it can be very baked apple, bruised uh-huh. apple with high acidity.
2: Often, I find they are the, the white burgundy on a budget uh wines i for me like i love beautiful white wine but can i afford gorgeous uh corton no i cannot <laughs>
1: corton charlemagne you mean um, oh, <laughs> thank you right.
2: thank you for the correction uh-huh. yes Corton charlemagne.
1: Um, so fun <laughs> hey um megan brony uh congratulations on uh, the italian wine scholar of course your career um, i look forward to thank sharing you. uh some more wine with you as we uh uh venture in this journey
2: Absolutely. I would love
1: that. Thank I you. love it, too. Hey, folks, stick around. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot more coming up right next on Happy Hour Radio.
0: Two regular guys separated by 20 years and a full head of hair. Mark Lee and Van Camp, weekdays 9 to noon, Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan.
1: All right, Seattle. Hey, uh, we had a little champagne and some white wine. Now it's time for something far from it. It's uh, it's brown time. I've got uh, Andy Mancini, who is the vice president of brands for uh, a very cool, underknown distillery that's come out with uh, four fantastic expressions. Um, let's get right to it, Andy Mancini. Hey, welcome to Happy Hour.
3: Thank you for having me, Christopher. It's good to be here.
1: My pleasure. I understand that you are actually in Atchison, Kansas, now at the worldwide headquarters of MGP.
3: Yes, I am on the banks of the mighty Missouri River.
1: Excellent. Uh, you don't need flooding over there, do you? I know that that's been going
3: on. Oh, we're um, on. We're on the west side of the river, and the east side is completely flooded. In Tough. fact, uh, four miles of road are have been closed for over a month.
1: Oh boy. So, yeah so
3: it's it's pretty bad i mean it's uh, our farmers in the midwest are really really taking a beating
1: yeah and I'm sure that'll uh um we'll see that uh, those consequences come in a host of things with its beef and and of course the distillation here with the corn and and rye and and wheat uh let's talk about how many years has m g p distilling been around
3: we uh were founded in nineteen forty one uh during the war actually we were a distillery that was uh we were distilling high. High-proof high industrial alcohol for the for the Navy. We made torpedo propellant. <laughs>
1: there you go. All right. I, I, I'm I'm hoping there'll be an expression of that coming out of some well,
3: point. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Right. No. But we've uh, we've been uh, really our our for the last first. Let's see. So 77 of 79 years, uh, our core business was uh, was dis- distillation. Um, we're one of the we're the leading domestic gin distiller and we will do a lot of vodka uh and then with all those grains we we've we work with we've actually uh have a very large um food ingredients business as well so we wow. with uh, with the starches and the grains um, starches fibers and proteins we create food food products a lot for the baking industry um so you know think about think about the the starches uh that go into flour which go into you know cake mixes and things like that and we also export a lot of our uh our fiber our fiber uh proteins uh to uh to the orient- to to Asia because uh they eat a lot of noodles but they're also uh carb sensitive and so fiber helps cut down carbohydrates but keeps keeps them in their staple diet but we do um you know, we, we do high fiber. We're also very involved in texture wheat protein. So think about oh, meatless yeah. ingredients and things like that. Sure. So uh, very active in research. And, um, of course, our core business uh, has been for the last 78 years um, distilling, distilling beverage alcohol. We're the leading rye distiller in America, the leading gin distiller. And we have a, you know, we do a lot of bourbon. Uh, and and vodka as well. We have two distilleries. Our main distillery, uh, not main, our original distillery is in Atchison, Kansas, where most of our vodkas and gins come from. And then we have we also own since 2011 a very historic distillery in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, Southeast Indiana, on the banks of the Ohio, was the old uh, Seagram's distillery. It was um, founded in 1847. And we purchased that in 2011 and have done significant work in increasing capacity and have really focused uh, all of our whiskey production there in Lawrenceburg.
1: Pretty cool. I understand now that you've come out with your own line of uh, some brown spirits here. Tell me about that.
3: Yeah, so two years ago, uh, we decided that we were going to launch... Launch our own uh, our own line of uh, of brands, Uh, and because we have significant significant you know distilling uh, expertise, um, but we're also known for for our blending. Uh, We work with a a lot of our customers come to us for uh, custom. you know, botanical blends for their gin, advantage of, of all of our expertise and in, in creating our brands, especially in our whiskeys. So, we have we launched in uh, June, actually, it's uh, two years ago, June of 2017, with Till American Wheat Vodka, and all the wheat comes from the surrounding farms here in Atchison, as well as uh, George Remus, which is uh, Prohibition Bourbon. And George was a true character.
1: <laughs> Prohibition um, Bourbon. Yeah. So, meaning it was
3: outlawed, right? He was an outlaw. He was the king of the bootleggers. He was a, a, law, a pharmacist in Chicago turned lawyer and was defending these um, these bootleggers in Chicago. And he said two things. He said – and he always talked in the third person, literally. He said, you know, George, uh, George can do better uh, than this. Um, but he said, you know, these guys are making more money. Uh, than he's ever seen. And they were not the smartest people in the world. And, he, and being a lawyer who finished University of Chicago Law School in 18 months, he said, I'm going to figure I'm gonna, I can do better. So he moved to, Chicago, uh, moved to Cincinnati to begin his operations. And the reason why he moved to Cincinnati to bootleg is that Cincinnati was within 200 miles of every tadlocked whiskey warehouse in America. And again, <laughs> it wasn't illegal to drink uh, distilled spirits during Prohibition, it was illegal to manufacture and to sell. Right, and so he opened a pharmacy in Cincinnati in order to uh,
0: dispense to, medicinal. To, to
3: cut medicinal alcohol That's every right. two weeks. You could get a pint. So this week <laughs> you've got a toothache, and two weeks later you have a sprained ankle. So you know it just he kept the business going, and so he would send one group of men to the warehouse to get a barrel to cut cut the proof and make make the medicine and along the way back to the pharmacy another group of his men would would hijack his own truck and send it to his uh his his secret farm in Cincinnati so he could start bootlegging
1: too funny wow it's like the opioid crisis <laughs>
3: re- rears its ugly head yeah.
1: again but in a good way so i've got four expressions of brown here uh let's talk about these eight and sand where did this come from
3: well it's a, well, it's a good good one, uh, whiskey to start with this is our newest launch we we actually just launched this in uh january and and uh, Aiden Sand uh, at 88 proof is a blend of the four whiskeys that we we make in, in Lawrenceburg. So it's bourbon, rye, corn whiskey, and light whiskey. Hmm. And the designation for this is blended bourbon whiskey. And it's ah, a, yes. It's a it's a uh, a classification that we actually <clears throat> uh, went to the TTB and petitioned to get. So if you to be a bourbon you have to be a minimum of 51% corn. corn. Of course, to be called rye, you have to be a minimum of 51% rye. So to be a blended bourbon whiskey, you have to be a minimum in that blend of bourbon. Which we are. This is uh, well over 50%. Uh, these whiskeys uh, are between five and seven years old. Um, and the majority is bourbon, and then we have a component of rye, and then we have a component of corn whiskey. So <clears throat> think about what bourbon is, 51% corn. Corn whiskey is 100% corn. Sure. And then uh, light whiskey is, is nothing more than uh, corn whiskey uh, that has been aged in a used barrel versus a new barrel. And so we blend all of these for what we're really looking for is a very light and certainly sweet, uh, <clears throat> an easy mouthfeel and a sweet a sweet whiskey. So if you are someone who likes to uh, mix their whiskeys, let's say with, with a cola or with a the citrus, you know, citrus soda. This makes for a, a pretty good, pretty good mixed drink. It's phenomenal in uh, Manhattan's and Old Fashions, and it's pretty darn good by itself. So, if you want to grab the glass, and we're just, you know, I've got one with me as well. And you know, I always nose my my whiskeys first, and just sort of stick my nose in and. Man, what I smell is a lot of sweet corn and vanilla, which is what you'd normally expect, right? With a Agreed. with a whiskey,
1: I'm getting lots um, of toffee here, and, and almost, yeah. there's a there's a barley note though. Do you, is there much barley in here or is it more to wheat?
3: Well, yeah, there's malted barley. You know, all of for our both of our our rise, uh, our and our bourbons have have at least a five percent uh, malted barley component to it.
1: Interesting. Um, I think the palate here is nice and round. It's soft. It's certainly smooth. I think your years of, of maturation here uh, have really um, proved itself in the final product. Um, when you have a blended bourbon whiskey, there's really no age statement you need to have because that's part of the TTB thing. Um, really tasty. Quickly, We're going to take a little break here in about two minutes, but let's talk about George Remus.
3: Yeah, let me just finish. With, although with Aiden Sand is that there's no GNS right? There's no no distilled neutral spirits and there's no coloring. Ah, right. so neutral all spirits,
1: right? GNS. George
3: Remus, it. so King of the Bootleggers. So the, what we're sampling here is our is our our, our main line George Remus, which is 94 proof. It's a blend of our two most popular bourbon mash bills, and we are famous for rye, so our bourbons are what we call high rye bourbons, mm-hmm. and this is uh, a blending of our. 21% high rye bourbon and our 36% high rye bourbon. So think 21% rye, 4% malted barley, which would which would equal uh, 75% corn. And you can do the math on the other, but it ends up being um, 60% corn. Uh, we blend for a taste profile. We're looking for classic sweet. Uh, bourbon up front and the and the nice bite and grip uh, and spice of of the rye on the back. Uh, these bourbons uh, these whiskeys a- age from um, they're between six about six six and a half years. Um, and what we're really we're really focused on here is just a very smooth and easy and easy drink. You want to?
1: Yeah, I'm taking a sip. Uh, it is very smooth, but it's also got that spice note on the finish here. Um, yep. I'm really digging it. It's got some heat to it, but I think that sort of uh, helps exaggerate some of the spice note. Um, we're going to take a quick little break, and uh, when I come back, we've got Andy Mancini, the vice president of brands for MPG and uh, MGP brands out of uh, Kansas. Stick around, folks. We've got more coming up on Happy Hour Radio.
0: He's local. He's all Northwest. Lars Larson. Weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan.
1: All right. Welcome back to our fourth and final segment. i got four bottles of whiskey courtesy of MGP Brands. And my pal Andy Mancini, who is the vice president, representing Aiton Sand, and George Remus, which is the 94- uh, proof straight bourbon whiskey with high rye. Um, Andy, I'm tasting this. This is really complex. I'm, I'm really impressed by this particular spirit.
3: Thank you. Um, that's what we aim for. We like uh, 94 Proof. We don't chill filter any of our whiskeys, so it pre- prevents flocking, which is sort of those wonderful fat fat mo- molecules that kind of collect when a, when a whiskey gets cold. But it's also th- those fat esters really make the flavor and the complexity of the of the whiskey and uh, ninety four also makes a great cocktail without losing kind of the the uh, the whiskey taste, yeah
1: not too hot um interesting uh these are available um in different states, not quite yet in washington you have some some plans to uh get we these products are,
3: yeah we are we 're slowly expanding we 're in thirteen thirteen states uh, so far this year uh, just think about the midwest uh, we've kind of have a stranglehold there, and then we just uh, recently, uh, see, last year we launched in Arizona and Colorado, and this year we're 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 trying our hand at Texas. So we just finished our first launch in Texas, uh-huh. just about six weeks ago. So we're we're coming west. I promise. Excellent. It'll just, just be a little time.
1: Well, we have something called the Remus Repeal Reserve, and uh, it's kind of funny that they you know it's, they celebrate the repeal, even though they were making more money uh, before that. Tell me about this yeah, particular straight bourbon whiskey
3: so this is a, a, an annual release. It comes out on November thirteenth on uh, on george 's birthday, and our intent is that it uh, all of our the bottles that we make are sold and shipped to retail by repeal day, which is December fifth This is really a blend of our of our best and our oldest uh, bourbons, and so every year. Uh, the series, uh, the mash bill changes and the blend changes. So, our intent here is to do something challenging for the palate and to have a little bit of fun. And so, you're tasting Series Two, which was released uh, November 13th of, of 2018. Um, it's hundred proof. All of our all of our series are hundred proof moving forward. Our first release was 94 proof. Um, it has been highly accolated. In fact, all of these, all the whiskeys you're tasting get great reviews. You know, and if you're worried about you know rating numbers and things like that we even grading <laughs> on the curve we we kind of end up in the high 90s 95 96 win a lot win a lot of double golds but what's more important is how this tastes and so last year our, our first series was very kind of sweet candied fruit th- figs and plums and wonderful warm kind of holiday treats this year uh it's a lot spicier because we have more of our 36 uh percent high rye bourbon in there and by the way on repeal reserve when you buy a bottle, we put the mash bill and the blend and the ages of those whiskeys right on the front label, so we're not trying to hide anything. What I get with this, and I don't want to influence your taste, is a lot of spice, more like an Elay Scotch, very smoky, a lot of leather, and uh, you know, just it dry, is very spicy. Um, it, yeah. it
1: reminds me of uh, um, some great. There's a curry note to this. It's got just a lot of maybe it's allspice or there's just a coriander. There's a lot of different flavors that are dancing on my palate. Um, I like the fact that it's it's really smooth for a hundred proof.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's um, I think it's a a, uh, a testimony to the um, to our aging and our warehouses, uh, our our rick houses in Lawrenceburg are brick. And what ah. makes that really important is that um, they're three feet thick. And we, we're on the banks of the Ohio River, so it's a pretty humid environment. So it takes longer, you know, so the heat of the summer lingers longer into the fall, but the cold, you know, it takes much longer for those, those rick houses to get cold in the winter. And so you have really a, mo- a more humid and moderated temperature. And so what happens is that without these big spikes in temperature, you don't you don't get all that extreme extraction, right? Sucking it back into the wood, and then and then the the barrels spitting out the uh, and releasing the, the whiskey. So you just get this mellowing over all these years. And again, these are 11- and 12-year-old whiskeys that you're tasting right now. And I think that really helps, the, that smoothness. You don't get that, what they call the Kentucky hug, right, uh, that, burning, <laughs> that burning grip down your throat. i well,
1: to be, be referring all all to all some all humidity people. down below, you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay, quickly, yeah. we got Rossville Union. You Give me the 30-second the spiel on this one.
3: 7-year-old uh, rye whiskey. It's a blend of our uh, 51 and 95% rye. We blend this for flavoring and for smoothness. And this is a 94 proof. Uh, We just released this a year ago in June. This is intended to be easy to drink on the rocks, easy to drink neat, and makes fantastic uh, cocktails. What you should get is just a lot of spice but very smooth and easy on the palate.
1: It is very smooth, and it's almost a lighter style whiskey than the other ones. I think the oak here is not quite as uh, um, charred, or it's just got some delicacy to it. But that rye makes me think Sazerac. I want to go right there. Straight rye whiskey, uh, fantastically delicious. Uh, Rossville is a town?
3: Rossville Union is the original name of the distillery in Lawrenceburg. It was founded in 1847 by George Ross, who held the distillery through Prohibition. Then went bankrupt and sold it to Seagram. <laughs> in about 19, it was what 1935
1: he sold it. So cool, uh, Andy. Give me a website. People want to learn more about these fantastic brands.
3: 8andSand.com, GeorgeRemusBourbon.com, RossvilleUnion.com.
1: Fantastic. Hey, I really enjoyed it. A pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to uh, sharing some more spirits, maybe that uh, yeah. Till Vodka. Thanks, Andy Mancini.
3: Thank you. Hey, Take folks. Care.
1: I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers!